This is Eric Pincus of Bleacher Report and Sports Business Classroom, and you're listening to the Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Pro Source Podcasters. I'm your co-host, Mr. Nemo's Bruce, a.k.a. NWB, and I'm joined by Mr. Colbert Rond, a.k.a. Kobe. Kobe, how you doing? Good, buddy. Good. We're getting closer to spring, so I'm... I'm feeling better every day. That's right. The sun is out longer, and that also means that basketball is around the corner. Well, actually, it's this is the month of basketball. We're recording in March, and it's March madness in, in the college scene. The NBA is winding up, and the WNBA is about to come around. Now, the WNBA celebrated 25 years last year as a league, but did you know that there were leagues around before that? In fact, to help us is our guest today. Elizabeth Galloway McQuitter. She is the head of the Legends of Basketball organization, and she's a former player in the WBL. Liz, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. It's March Madness, so so I've, I've had my field on the women's side and the men's side. It's just been great. So this is a great time of year for, for an old, old G. <laughs> there we go. You Indeed, you are an OG. We'll get back. We'll, we'll get to that. Are you happy with some of the changes that you're seeing with March Madness nowadays? Absolutely. One of my former players and just an outstanding young athlete herself, Anuka Brown-Sanders, used to be head of Women's Basketball Championships. She left, I think, in 2018 to take on another position. But I asked her about the changes. And also, I talked to Judy Sweet, who used to head up the NCAA, the only woman to, that was in charge of the, that was president of the NCAA. And I asked them what they felt were the biggest changes. And a lot of it has to do, of course, they get the swag bags and the lounges, but the main thing they talked about was the marketing and the money. I mean, let's just get down to it, the money. The women are grouped together with other sports, lacrosse, gymnastics, and a package. So they've never been able to stand on their own to see what type of money they could bring in. So that's still in the works. But I I watched all of them have the all-in shooting shirts. They get to use March Madness, which a lot of people thought they used anyway, but they all had always had their own campaign. So it's a step in the right direction. And we're celebrating 50 years of Title IX this year. So it's about time. <laughs> yes, I was just about to bring that up. We are indeed celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Title IX legislation in the United States, which was a watershed moment in terms of women's sport at a collegiate level. And I guess it it did pave the way for professional sports as well. Well, Title IX, you know, in the beginning had nothing to do with sports. It was about education. It was about leveling the playing field, if you will, for women in education. And no education program or activity, no one on the basis of sex should be discriminated against based on that. So um, that fell under activity. And so women's basket I mean, sports kind of slid in under the radar, but it has become associated with Title IX. Women's sports has become associated with Title IX or Title IX has become associated with women's sports when indeed it was, yes. it was all about education. There we go. Chloe, did you know that? 
I, I, I just learned something. I did know that, but it's it's because sports is so much in the public eye right. that it, it gets to shine a light on something that would otherwise be overlooked. Absolutely. So it's it's become like the champion of Title IX, basically. Yeah, absolutely. But but if you look at the statistics and you hear them a lot, I think there's like 69% of the women who got their law degrees and the women are, are the majority on college campuses right now. So it's it may not be as publicized as sports, but uh, those of us who pay attention, I guess, because we are direct recipients of Title IX, we were empowered in, in, in ways... And, and we, sports was our vehicle, you know, don't get me wrong. Sports was our vehicle for getting our college scholarships, but that led to our degrees. And so the women have made so much headway on, on the educational playing field, if you will. Mm-hmm. Now, you've been around women's basketball since the very beginning, both as a player and a coach. Which role do you prefer? Um. That's a tough question. Of course, when you love the game, in your mind, you can always step out there and play. You never get over that love as a player. So um, one led to the other. I don't know that I could make that choice. They're so they stand alone. They stand alone. Each stands on its own. But the thing about coaching is, and our mantra is passing it on, paying it forward, what you get back. And, and what you get from the kids and what you give to them, that has been a lifelong connection. The young women that I've been able to coach and shape and who have given back to me. But I also look as a player what my coaches gave to me. So it's an, enabled me to pass it on and pay, pay it forward. And I used to always tell my players, you're not just getting the best that I have to offer. You're getting the best of every coach that I had. You're getting the best of my teammates, my opponents others that you learn from. So uh, I, I can't make that choice. They stand on their own, and, and there's so much to be said for each each one. So when women's basketball was developing, when the professional game was developing, you went from playing for UNLV to the Chicago Hustle. Was the level of play higher or lower at the professional game than it was at the college level at that time? Oh, no, it was it was higher because you had the best in college that went into the WBL. Now, mind you, the big name stars of our era, Ann Myers, Nancy Lieberman, Carol Blazjowski, those names people are more familiar with. But this league was founded by unheralded players, meaning not in talent or ability, just not as well known. Mm-hmm. But you're looking at women who... Like and not, we were the first scholarship-funded team by Title IX, and so and that was happening all over the country. So the women that came to that league were Olympians. Eight of the women who played on the 1976 Olympic team, which was the first Olympic team in history, was 1976. Eight of those women played in the WBL. You had all Americans that played in the WBL. The best players on their teams, record holders who still hold records today, that set records back then playing in the league. So it definitely was a step up. It's like having an all it was like having an all-star team. And so no, you had the best of the best during that time playing, even though some of our premier players uh did not play the first year, but they did come on the second and third year. So from the very beginning, even as a fledgling program, it always represented the absolute best in the game. Yes. Yes. Excellent. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And I, I will say this. I did learn a lot when the WNBA commemorated 25 years last year. But one thing I will say 
and I guess I learned it through friend of the show, Val Whiting. Oh, yes, Val. We just did a podcast with Val as well. We're, we're very, I watched Val. I recruited Val when she was and coming out and, you know, and watched her play at Stanford and watched her play in the WNBA. Yeah, we're very familiar with Val. There we go. But one of the things that WNBA didn't do very well is it didn't pay attention to the leagues that came before it. Because I can no. tell you right now that I wasn't aware of the WBL, the ABL, the WBA. I feel like the light wasn't shining properly on those leagues. What, is your, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, boy. You ha- do you have enough time? We do. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. Here's the thing. And we're about to really, really, we've reached out to some individual teams, but we've got to connect with Kathy Engelberg and the upper echelon of the WNBA in, in lieu of, of the fact that not just because of Title IX turning 50, but because every league that tried chipped away at it. We were the first viable league. There was a league that tried in 1975, never got off the ground. The WBL is the first viable women's professional basketball league in the United States. Okay, we lasted three years, and um, it was great play. And then LPBA and WABA, the WBA, the ladies, you know, there were nine recognized, okay, recognized. Wow. Eight before the WNBA, recognized. But that's not to say all the others who attempted on some level to bring professional basketball, but there are nine that are recognized. But as the first, the one thing I feel that – we as women have to do, and we don't always want to pattern ourselves after the men, but I think they get it right in this respect. The, if you look at the all-star game, there's their royalty there is sitting there. There's Dr. J and Bill Russell and Oscar Robertson and yes. Jerry West and Mike, yes. and the young guys know who they are and they revere them and honor them and honor their past and know whose shoulders they stand on. You can't say the same of the women because they don't go back far enough. So I say to you, go back farther. In lieu of the Lucy Harris documentary, Queen of Basketball, that if mm. that doesn't if that doesn't serve as a wake up call, that era of the seventies had the greatest growth in the sport, and it had a, a large part to do with the fact that we went from nothing to something because of Title IX. But nonetheless, the seventies era changed the trajectory of the sport at every level because of Title IX. We are Title IX trailblazers. We are AIAW, which is the precursor to the NCAA, Association of Intercollegiate Athletics for Women. They governed us for 10 years before the NCAA took over in 1982. And then you have the WBL and then you have the Olympics. So we are a group of firsts. Now, we honor those who came before us because our coaches, Brenda Van Lingen, who's a broadcaster and has taken on a producer role, is working on a documentary called If Not For Them. And ironically, that includes our coaches, the women who coached us, Pat Summit, Jody Conrad, Francis Garman. Lynn Dunn, uh, Marion Washington, Lucille Cavallis, Billy Moore. All if you don't know these names, just a simple Google and you will you'll find them. Mm. Eight mem- six members on our board played for them. Pat Trish played for Pat Summit. I played for Fran Garman. Adrian played for Marion Washington. Deborah played for Sue Gunner. Peggy Gillen played for Lynn Dunn and Van Chancellor. So those were our coaches. So and Marion Washington herself was a great player during the AAU days. So we know our history and those who came before us 
and we continue to seek that history. But it seems that we only go back so far. You can't just go back 25 years and talk about professional women's basketball in the United States. We are proud of the WNBA. I have coached WNBA players. And uh, Peggy Gillum, one of our board members, coached in the WNBA. Trish coached in the ABL. So the connection is there. We have just got to do a better job of connecting the dots that led us to where we are today. And what better time to get it on every platform in this 50th anniversary of Title IX. That's our goal. Mm-hmm. That's the goal, and we, we hope to see it. We'd love to see it. And yes. if I'm not mistaken, you founded the Legends of the Bowl. Tell us a little bit more about that, The how the organization came to be. And, and you mentioned there were nine board members. Is that correct? Yes. We had an original 12. But in 2003, we had 25th anniversary of the WBL, you know, when it folded in 1981. We had a 25th anniversary. It was then that I, and I'm sure everybody felt the same way, but because I was coaching, I, I was coaching at Texas A&M at the time, by the way, but because I was still involved in the sport and had to constantly try to educate people about the history, it struck a chord in me. And I'm like, when will anyone, everybody recognize that? You have these hidden figures, you know, who were part of this game. It it, it laid dormant until we got inducted into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame as a league, as WBL trailblazers of the game. The WBL got inducted as trailblazers of the game. We had almost 100 of us showed up. It was the biggest group they've ever had before or since. At that moment, we were like, this has got to change. And so I wanted to come, come up with a nonprofit that the mission was to promote the historic and social relevance of the WBL, to inspire future generations to break through barriers, realize their potential, and become leaders for positive change. We've been doing that ever since. There were 12 of us originally, and now there are nine. And so it was just this burning, and we're, we're going on our fourth year. We're getting stronger. We have a permanent display in the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. We're talking with the Smithsonian. We, we have made our case to the Naismith as contributors. We're trying to connect with the WNBA and the NBA. Because this among this group, there are so many historic women individually and teams collectively and players and accomplishments. You know, so that's, there's that burning desire. I, I always quote Maya Angelou in one of my favorite from her. There's no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside. And so that is what really, really pushes us and propels us forward. And I want to say this, guys. When I found out about the movie Hidden Figures, I always use this as an example. Mm-hmm. I felt cheated. I felt, how could I not know? And I pride myself on history, and I pride myself on African-American history. But how could I not know about these women? That's not fair that their story wasn't told before now. You know how many people you cheated and uh, on the inspiration, or we were talking about see her, be her, or the opportunity to see somebody. Maybe millions, I mean thousands, would have gone into STEM. Or, uh, or into maybe thinking they could be an astronaut even years before. So when you don't tell the history of everyone, you cheat generations out of that inspiration, out of that pride, out of that connection. And it's a disservice to everybody. Yeah, you cheat development in general. Yeah, yes, because- yes, absolutely. Thank you for saying that. 
right? And it's, I mean, sometimes it's those that write the history see it the way they want to see it, and they of tend course. to obfuscate, right? Yes. 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 So something I want to go back to is you listed a number of names like like the alphabet, pretty much like it was nothing for you. <laughs> are, are any of these uh, women you've mentioned, are any of them celebrated individually in the Naismith Memorial Hall Basketball Hall of Fame? Yes. Ann Myers, uh, Lucy Harris was the first in the in the in the Naismith. Ann Myers Drysdale, Nancy Lieberman, Muffet McGraw, who was the great coach mm. at Notre Dame for all those years, she's in the Naismith, and she okay. was in the W. She played in the WBL. If okay. you just look around, you'll see there's so many. Do you see the contributions? That's just an example, you know. And then they're in the Naismith, and then there are 17 WBLers in the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, okay. individually, and then collectively, we're in there. All right. So the recognition is starting to come. Yes, it, it has been coming for a while. Okay. Okay. Me? No, I'm actually going to throw it back to you, Cole, because uh, Liz may not know this, but we're actually based in Toronto. And Cole, wow. there was recently a, just talking about recognition, there was recently an announcement in regards to women in Canada. You want to tell us a little bit about, about that? Yeah, my mother has been celebrated as one of the top 100 accomplished black women in Canada. Oh, wow. What's her name? Paula Durand. She knows oh. Maya and <laughs> many others, actually. Oh, my God. What's wonderful. Right. So it's it's nice to see recognition come. I mean, we're north of the border, so we're north of you. But it, it's North America's pretty much attached to the hip. So <laughs> it's yeah, and, what and, happens and, here is celebrated there. What happens there is celebrated here as well. Right. And you have a, a, a very strong interest because of your mother. So you you know what it's like to, to be surrounded by a, a, a great female athlete. Not an athlete. Ed, more of an educator, really. My mother is a career, oh, li cur career librarian. Oh, well, you know what? Same thing because you know how many of us are educators. That's right. Mm -hmm. There we go. That's right. That's why, well, I mean, in some way or form, that's, that's what happens, right? It's, it's education yep. through knowledge and through experience and through sharing. And I mean, that's the whole point of the podcast when it comes right down to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that's the thing. When, when stories are told, people, people learn and then people can see that, hey, because they did it, I can this episode is brought to you in part by our sponsor, Sports Interaction, for sports gambling in Canada. This is Canada's most trusted sports book and is home to thousands of betting options on hundreds of sporting events from all over the world. From futures and mainline betting to real-time live betting during games, Sports Interaction is the platform for you. Now back to the show. Now, Liz, if I'm not mistaken, you were one of the first players to receive a scholarship at UNLV in, in women's mm -hmm. basketball. Yes. Uh, obviously, that's an achievement in itself, and it blazes a trail. But I'm sure there would have been some adversity around that. Can you tell us the pathway to getting there and some of the stuff you had to overcome? Well, let me tell you. In 1972, we were in high school, and Title IX, you know, was voted in and as legislation in 1972. To to tell you that I knew what that meant at the time would be totally wrong. I had no idea what Title IX was or how it would impact me, totally unaware of it. So I went to uh, Temple Junior College and played for Fran Garman, who's a Hall of Famer in her own right and one of the great historians on the game. And we got scholarships. And by the time I transferred to UNLV two years later, 
1975, they had the program. Dan Ayala was my coach. He was with, uh, I'm sure you've heard of Jerry Tarkanian and the Running Rebels. Yep. He was with, he was Jerry Tarkanian's assistant coach. And he took over the women's program that next year. We were fully funded. So in many ways, we stepped right into it and did not experience. Now, that generation right before us are the ones that did not have the scholarships. So we we literally are the Title IX immediate beneficiaries. We stepped right into it by the time we got to college. It was in full effect. So to be able to go to college and on a scholarship, I mean, that who we didn't grow up thinking about that. We didn't grow up dreaming about that. And uh, so that was in itself the, the blessing and did not really fully understand what I had until years later because my coaches had taught me about it. And um, as we got out into the world and started coaching ourselves and, and becoming more educated about it, we realized what had happened and what had that allowed us to, to get scholarships. Mm-hmm. So I can't say that I went through a lot of adversity only because we stepped right into it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And also in high school, Texas, we have Molly Boland, who's on our board, Iowa. She, she's from Iowa. And I don't know if you know how big girls basketball was in Iowa at the time. And so she, she often talks about how she, the girls basketball was more popular than the boys. And mm-hmm. I'm from Texas. And oh. then uh, Trish and they're from Georgia. Down south, we, we had opportunity and we played and we were supported. But then you've got Adrian and Peggy. Adrian's from Kansas City. Peggy grew up in the Chicago area. Uh, they did not. So even within our board, we have those who had it in high school, support and opportunity, and those who didn't. Okay. And so but by the time we got to college, we all stepped right into those scholarships. So I've heard a lot of girls say we were Title IX babies, and I'm like, well, maybe not. We don't call ourselves Title IX babies. We call ourselves Title, title IX pioneers. You know, That's right. Because we, we really just stepped right into it. Is that the inspiration behind the scholarship that is being introduced by the Legends of the Pole? Absolutely. We want to make sure that we're, we're rewarding young student athletes and in particular basketball players because there's, there's scholarships for everything. And uh, you know, basketball was our vehicle. Basketball is the, the thing that connected us all. It's why we're friends for life right now. And so that's why we give it to a young basketball player. And uh, we also know the importance of education. We're all college graduates. We know that once that ball stops bouncing, <laughs> you know, for you, you've got to be able to do something and, and use that college degree. We always said we're, we're degree packing women, you know, empowering the generations that followed and passing it on and paying it forward, you know. So and that's what Title IX did for us. It gave us the opportunity. And, you know, all people need is an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Nice and one. so the lob, the the legend scholarship we call it. We offered our first two last year and our second year of existence. This year, this year we're going to be upping that to six. So we oh, already wow. have the the candidates. We've already gone through, working on selection process. We'll have six scholarship recipients this year. That's awesome. Who is involved in the selection process? The board, the nine of us. Okay, and. Is there something specific that you're looking for? Is it mostly a an athletic scholarship or are you looking for academics as well? 
Oh, academics as well. Yeah, we have our we we set up our criteria because most of us, have, like I said, we've got a lot of educators on the board, and character, and they have to write an essay. And this year and last year, the essay uh, has to do with Title Nine, and it also has to do what sports, either either what how a coach has impacted you, and or you can do it collectively how sports has impacted you. And then the other topic is how has Title Nine um, afforded you the opportunities that you have. So they'll have to do a little bit of research because most of them don't know what Title IX is. Okay, no, that's excellent. And how have your recipients been doing so so far? Pretty good. Our first two did an amazing job, and you could tell they researched, you know. Okay. So, <laughs> and that's what we want. We want them to go and discover that history. And so it's it's going to be a tough decision for us. Of course, of course. We, we wish we could give more, but it'll it'll come. That's right. You're still growing. Hopefully the information gets out there, more people get involved. If someone does want to reach out to you and sort of contribute to this, how do they get how do they get a hold of the organization? Well, we're on all all the social media platforms. Um you can go to our website though, and there's a place where you can contact us on our website, www.legendsoftheballinc.org. And there's a place you can um, you can contact us there. Okay, perfect. Yeah, that's that's awesome. We'll definitely make sure we share that. Now, your nickname when you played was the Bandit. Liz. <laughs> <laughs> so you're yeah. obviously good on the defensive side. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, this makes me happy and it makes me sad because Les Gropstein, who was our radio announcer just passed away on January 16th this year. And he gave me that name. Uh, He used to call all of our games at the Chicago Hustle Games, traveled and right up on radio. He also did, uh, in the first few years of the Sky, did some of the Sky's radio games before they stopped carrying the games on radio. So that's one of the things we talk about, how those of us, the women and the men of the WBL, are still involved in paying it forward. So I led the league in steals. Uh, to okay. me, stealing, stealing the ball was an art. You know, there's a method to it. You don't just, you plan it. I sit and go crazy at the TV because I don't think that um, players today understand the passing lane and, and play the passing lane uh, and I, it, look at it as an, an opportunity to steal the ball. I think everybody, it seems that everybody's worried about the three-point shooter, but if you understand how to play the passing lane, you know, there's nothing that keeps you from recovering to your player. I would steal it in transition. I would steal it in the passing lane. I would steal it off the dribble. I would steal it out of the player's hands. And I actually taught, I called it the art of the steal. Right on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so steal. Les Grobstein uh, gave me that moniker, that nickname, and it stuck. And the fans made T-shirts, and uh, it's just what I became known as, uh, great defender and and. And stealing the ball was something that the, the crowd got into, I guess, like somebody making a bucket, you know. That's cool. Now, would you say the game has changed from when you played to, to the way it is nowadays? Oh, absolutely. We always critique, and you know you always think you did <laughs> certain things better. We understand that they are better younger that the ball handling, hands down, they wipe us out with the ball handling, their ability to handle the ball. But we still feel that we rebound better. And uh, I think we had just as many great shooters and scorers. I mean, we had some great shooters and scorers. We feel that our post game was better. 
uh, I think the post play is almost disappearing because it's like the positionless basketball. Yeah. And uh, there are some outstanding post players that I know Leah Boston gets a lot of attention on the collegiate level. But overall, at every level, in the pros and in the, the collegiate level, we feel that our post play was better. And we certainly feel that our defense was better. <laughs> But they're, they're bigger, they're faster, they're taller, they're skilled, um, they're ball handling, like I said, beats us hands down. But that, but the game has been good for a long time. And I ask, and, and when people ask us about that, we're not as old as Dr. J in that group, and we're, we're right before the bird and, and Magic and, La- and uh, Michael. And so would you say that they couldn't play? Or would you judge their game? How would nope. you judge their game versus the game of today? Tougher. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, we say the same thing. Would you say that we can't play? Because that's our era as well. We're their female counterparts. So judge the game. If you judge the men's game, you would know that it was an excellent game and it's been good for a long time. And Michael is still the greatest. That's right. And as is Bird and Magic. I mean, there's there's still some of the greatest to ever play the game. And so on the women's side, you have the same thing. There we go. When when they're talk, there's talk of the goat. They only do more, the more recent players. I think mm-hmm. I mean, you have players like Cynthia Cooper and Cheryl Swoops. We call it the new forgotten. That if you don't correct this history and start recognizing, remembering, and pulling them forward, you're just going to have a new group of forgotten players that are not revered like the men do. Cynthia Cooper's name and Tamika Catchings, uh, Jennifer Gillum, those names should be as recognized. Lisa Leslie, Cheryl Swoops, maybe yeah. some, but but yeah. people are starting. These younger kids don't know who they are. We just came from a big, huge camp, and they didn't know who Tamika Catchings. They the only one they knew was Cheryl Swoops. Oh no! And uh, some knew Lisa Leslie. The real ballers knew, but they know Tarasi and Tarasi and Sue Bird are, are uh, at the end of their careers. Yeah, they're at the end for so sure. So eventually, you know, until we correct it, you'll just have a what we call the new forgotten. You'll constantly have a new crop of great players who are pushed aside, and we won't go back far enough to capture, acknowledge, and and uh, honor those of the past. There we go. No, you definitely have to put. I mean, I grew up watching Lisa Leslie, Lauren Jackson. So we got we got to put respect on their names. Sandy Brondello. Oh yeah, absolutely. So. But you first got to know them, and 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 we've got we've got to connect the dots and 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 cement all these eras. Every era has its great players, and the mm-hmm. men they cement them on a timeline. And the younger group they have access to them. They have knowledge about them. You know, Kobe and. Those guys and then these young guys, you know, those who were influenced by Michael and that group and then the younger guys who were so influenced by Kobe, you know, and Kobe, who he was influenced by and Allen Iverson, who they were. So, that you know, but these young guys also know they see Bill Russell and Oscar Robertson and the doc, they see them sitting on the side. That's right. And they're including the games, you know, that they play. So they, they know who they, these these great players of every era are that's right yeah it's transcendent it's not just there's no recency bias right right yeah, absolutely now speaking of putting respect on names you can find <laughs> the legends legends of the ball on twitter at legends underscore lob inc you can find the website at legends of the ball inc.org and liz where can we find you on instagram legends underscore of underscore the underscore ball 
and we know that's long, but it's basically <laughs> it's basically legends of the ball, you know, with the underscore, and we're on Instagram. There we go. Fantastic talking to you. I I know we could just keep talking. I love how you just ring the names off the tip of your tongue. You know everyone, and hopefully more people will know everyone eventually through your efforts. Yes. Yes, I, that's our goal. What's next for you personally? Well, we have a campaign called Know Their Names, Speak Their Names. Mm. And uh, we dedicated it to Lucy Harris, who passed away. In January, we're just devastated. And also Althea Gwen, one of the another another great player of our era, and to all the WBLers who've passed on. And you know, time is undefeated, as my nephew always says, and it's not on our side. So we're in a de- desperate race to get the word out and to cement our era and our individuals and our group collectively in history. So know their names, speak their names in conjunction with some other organizations is a title nine project to honor Lucy. We're challenging. We have find your trailblazer, which is a challenge to the, the NCAA, the colleges and the coaches. Cause if they go back and look in the record books, they will find a WBL player at their university. So that's mm-hmm. one thing we want to reach out to the WNBA to connect with them on this 50th year anniversary of title nine. We want to reach out to uh we just attended the ladies ball which was a really an awesome tournament down at the women's basketball hall of fame and we were able to connect and if you look at our instagram you'll see a lot of those young teams we were able to connect to the youth down there and they were our greatest audience asked the best questions ever so what's next for me personally is continuing this campaign know their names speak their names and um we've got those stops along the way Liz, is there anything else you wanted to show the audience before that you go? No, I just I just would encourage everyone to know your history, to go visit our website, follow us on Instagram, you know, Facebook, Twitter, learn the history, help us celebrate the history, help us continue to uh, fight for equality. Just because Title IX is turning 50, we know that last year Sedona Prince exposed the inequality in the NCAA with yeah. March Madness and there have been changes made. And I, and to all the young women, don't rest on your laurels. Don't think every, because we have NIL and you have all these things, don't think that you have to stop, stop the fight. So continue to fight and know your history, know their names and speak their names, carry them, carry us with you because we are part of the reason the game is where it is today. Well said. Well said indeed. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website, www.prosportspodcasters.com. Because on the website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So do not miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasters experience, where no sport is left behind.